What's up, Bitcoiners? Ansel Linder here, Bitcoin and Markets, and you're listening to the 2019 Year in Review. Another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. I've been away for a little while, but I'm back for the end of the year. We're going to do a wrap up of 2019. And then when I get the next episode out, it won't be next Friday, but it will be very soon within probably 10 days from now, we'll get out the uh, predictions for 2020. So this rundown of 2019, I don't have any specific links for you guys. I did go through a lot, uh, I mean, off the top of my head of what I remember of the year. And then I went through uh, some uh, Sam Wooters posts on Reddit. If you guys uh, check out his post there, he does a wrap up every month of the major headlines. And even though I don't go on Reddit a ton, like his posts are very good because they take the top posts for that day on Reddit. And that is like the main story. And then he collects those for the month and then publishes those as uh, one single post. And I think it's a very good review of that month. You can also find it at bitcoinsnippets.com. So I'm getting a lot from that and also from just remembering here. So I don't have really any links for you. Uh, if you are looking, uh, can't find some links that I talk about here, uh, just contact me and, and I will try to get you something. So let's talk about the sponsor for this show. It's brought to you by my patrons over on Patreon. <laughs> direct from the people this content is. I did try out some sponsorships. You guys probably remember me talking about eToro and some other things in the past. Um, I didn't like it. I, I didn't like doing those those ads. It didn't work out. <laughs> so uh, I am fully listener supported. This is a listener supported podcast and I depend on my patrons to help me Support myself, really. <laughs> this truly is the people's podcast. This, uh, the, this is the only major, po well, it, I'm not a major podcast, but this is the only podcast I know that's 100% Patreon funded or patron funded. So I, I try, I don't like to shill services because I don't know. I don't try out my, most of these services and I don't know if they're any good or if they last long. I assume they won't last very long. So I don't want to go down that path. I kind of regret talking about some past sponsors on this show. But anyway, yeah, so it's all Patreon funded and you can go check it out for a dollar a month. You can just support my efforts. $5 a month, you can get become a full member and that includes the Patreon only episodes. I've done two of those in the last two weeks. So I haven't done a, a big podcast, but I've done two smaller podcasts over there on Patreon. So you guys can get access to that for $5 a month and support the show. I also have a member newsletter tier. So I put out, of course, the big main fundamentals report every Friday. That is, people are really loving that. But I put out a uh, Bitcoin Pulse, which is, I try to get out three times a week. And it's a bunch of news, more price analysis and fundamental analysis uh, diving in. I also put some macro stuff in there. So uh, that's what you get over there on Patreon. And again, this is a fully Patreon, it's a fully people's funded podcast. So, uh, I appreciate all the people that do subscribe over there. I'm trying to get up to 200 patrons here 
that's my goal for the, the coming few months. And yeah, enough of that. Let's break into the 2019 year in review. going to start off like I do always with a price analysis. Now this is not a 24 hour price analysis or a, a weekly price analysis, even though, uh, I do love that stuff, but I do, I will get into that of course on my newsletters and, and, uh, stuff like that and coming episodes of the podcast. So make sure you subscribe for that. But, uh, today we're just going to take a look at the overall, uh, yearly trends in price. So we opened up the year at roughly 3,500. Uh, after a big drop, we had some divergences and stuff on the chart. Uh, we had a three-month consolidation period at the bottom. Really nice, uh, typical consolidation period in an ascending triangle and a nice reversal pattern. And we broke out to the top of that in April. <laughs> Shortly after that, I mean, probably when we started getting to about five or 6,000, I was like, man, we need to have a retrace here. We need to, this is too far too fast. We need to pull back. Well, we had three months. So the first three months was flat. Then we had the next three months up to July was really fast movement to the top side. And the whole, t- well, not the whole time, but half of that time, I was like, man, we need to have a significant cooling off period. Um, kept talking about it. You can go back on my pre, my podcast during that time. And I'm talking about, Hey, you know, we need to have a pullback to this area. We need to cool it off. Yada, yada, yada. We're going too fast. Um, and so then we went all the way up into July and we started pulling back. And during this whole time, people were talking about continuation. Oh, continuation. This was, a, you know, a fast turnaround. We're back in the bull market. And I start saying, people are going to talk about a mini bear market. People are going to say, question if we're even in a bull market uh, and talk about this being another bear market. Uh, and I was harping on that and harping on that and harping on that. And finally, we had to break down from 10,000 down below. And now we keep going down. Um, recently, I have turned bullish again. So I'm trying to play this contrarian. Well, I'm, I'm bearish when the people are saying it's bullish and then it breaks down. And <laughs> I, a lot of people are calling for 5,000 or testing back to 4,200 which kind of would make sense on the charts. I don't think we're going to pull back that far. And we are turning around. Plus, the halvening is coming up within five months now, almost, right? And so it's it's fast approaching. But uh, those are the phases that we've been through. We did three months flat accumulation at the beginning of the year, followed by three months of uh, heavy price appreciation. And then we've had the last six months of the year has been in this descending channel that I've been talking about nonstop on my show and in the newsletters and all that. So uh, I think we are turning bullish now. Havening is just around the corner. Uh, there's a lot of renewed interest in this space, at least on the Bitcoin side. That's That's the price story of the last year. Okay. Let's get into the next section, which is going to be, well, before I hit lightning, I was going to hit lightning, but let's just talk about fees real quick. So of course, if you're kind of new to the space or you um, are uh, not in the weeds, you might have heard, oh, Bitcoin is expensive because at the end of the last bull market, uh, we had a lot of spam on the network. Uh, we had this scaling debate and there was, uh, the fees were going really high. It's designed where you can spam the network. 
and make fees higher, but that's very expensive to do. So you might, might hear me talk a lot about aligned incentives. This is that where you can attack, but it costs you a lot. It costs you a lot. And that's what we saw at the end of 2017. They were trying to socially engineer a hard fork, which didn't work out. And so they, uh, they wasted a lot of money spamming the network. Uh, and now we're back down sub $1 fees. It got as low as uh, one Satoshi per byte, which was like seven cents or less a transaction. We're still very low, even though transaction numbers are right at the all time highs or, or even going higher. So, we have scaled slightly with the size of the blocks and the size of the throughput of the network. But remember, this is not a payments technology as much as a money technology. And so um, Lightning is being added as the payment technology. But that's the kind of the thing here with fees. Uh, block size is always over a megabyte now, hitting over two megabytes in some cases. So we have scaled the base layer. Fees are not really an issue. There's going to be this dynamic. Um, we haven't really seen this dynamic yet because we've been in somewhat of a bear market for two years. But uh, we will see this dynamic where when fees increase, more people will go to Lightning Network. There's lots and lots of different things that are being built out right now that will push people into the Lightning Network for future transactions. Um, and that's the way you're going to scale the throughput, quote unquote throughput, even though it's not technically throughput, but you know what I mean. So, okay, let's go on to Lightning. So Lightning Network is a layer two protocol, or it is part of a Bitcoin stack. Uh, again, for the, the noobs, uh, for the new people here, the Bitcoin base layer is supposed to be very minimal and you can plug into that with layer twos. The The difference here between an altcoin and a Bitcoin layer two is that Bitcoin layer two is going to use Bitcoin, the unit Bitcoin. Not always now. It gets a little confusing when we start talking about tokens on layer twos. But for the most part, when we talk about uh, layered scaling, we talk about having a very minimal consensus a consensus layer. So nodes are really cheap. It can be decentralized and robust and everything else is features are built in the layered protocols. Lightning is one of the big first layered protocols, lightning and liquid. We'll talk about both of those, but mo mainly lightning here. Um, 2019, we saw most wallets come out with their main net launch. So they were in testing uh, beta for most of 2018 and, and coming into 2019. And we saw most things launch here. Uh, so most of the big development houses, Lightning Labs, Async, um, C Lightning, they have all come out with their mainnet launch in 2019. We've also seen uh, a growth of the Lightning Network by at least 3x, at least 3x this year. So we come into 2019 at a small level. There's some really reckless people that are, are going on mainnet with these still beta software. Uh, but in 2019, we see a 3x increase. Now, the reason why I say it's at least is because the public numbers, we know the public numbers as well as we can. And there are about 10,000 nodes on the Lightning Network. When you start diving in, which I've done on my member newsletter, uh, when you start diving in and I took all the Android apps 
added up all those downloads by the iOS apps, added up, estimated and added up all those downloads. The plug and play nodes, which we'll talk about here in a second, added up those sales and things and also the desktop clients. And I added all that up, right? And then I took on top of that, I took a 50% adjustment for duplication. And we are still at around 90,000 nodes at the end of 2019. The public numbers are 10,000. So, you know, there's a 5 to 10x difference between uh, these two estimates. So, yes, Lightning Network has grown by at least 3x, maybe up to 20x. It's however you want to estimate this. But it is an estimation game because... Uh, it's pretty private. We don't know exactly what's going on there. All right. Other things with the lightning network. Um, the, of course, the lightning torch wrapped up at the be- uh, beginning of the year. Hadalanat, who started it. Thank you, Hadalanat, for starting that. Um, he was threatened by fake Satoshi. Uh, so he kind of went dark for a little while and we all became, uh, we are all Hadalanat. It was a really cool experience to be in the community all supporting one of our beloved <laughs> quote unquote influencers that we follow on Twitter. Um, you know, he's, he seems like a really great guy. I've heard him on a couple of podcasts. And so, um, we rallied around him and he became one of the most influential people of the year. And I thought it was uh, well deserved. Okay. Some developments for lightning. We had watchtowers added. We had loop in added and we had ended the year here with multi-part payments added to lightning. Of course, there's a lot of other things added in there, but these are my big three. So we're talking the first full year of mainnet and we're adding three major pieces to the puzzle here. Of course, then you can add into here uh, UX design advancement. Uh, so Bitcoin wallets or the, the on-chain wallets. They took a long time to kind of figure these things out, and we're seeing this advance a lot quicker with Lightning, and they're beautiful. And lastly, with the Lightning Network, uh, we had some Lightning bugs. Yes, we did have Lightning bugs. Um, one of them was fairly serious. It was caught a couple versions later, so most people had updated. And then when it was um, announced about this bug, uh, most people had updated, and then that was just kind of to try to bring the struggler, uh, stragglers back in to the fold. So, uh, the lightning bugs were, were big, but they weren't, they weren't significant here. Um, there was one big story about somebody losing four bitcoins on the lightning network. And then it turned out a couple months later, he and he had gotten all of them back. Uh, it was pretty interesting. I, I would say there's only a handful of bitcoins that have been lost on Lightning Network, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. this is the main scaling uh, kind of effort going on right now in Bitcoin. And uh, yes, Bitcoin is one of these, we, we talk about scaling one of these networks, these consensus networks as uh, upgrading a jetliner in flight. Um, and so what we did, <laughs> what, what the, what Bitcoin has chosen is to not mess with the flight controls. Leave the flight controls alone. Isolate those on the consensus layer and then add features on the inside, right? Uh, with these layered type of, uh, protocols. And that's what Bitcoin is. And it's very interesting that the, the airplane is completely safe. Uh, there's been a few little hiccups with these lightning bugs, uh, but everybody is safe. Um, and we're, we're moving forward quickly. 
Okay, that's the state of the Lightning Network. Let's talk about plug-and-play nodes real quick. There's been a rise of the plug-and-play nodes. Back in 2015 or so, I had a small effort uh, with me and a buddy. We we started selling some plug-and-play nodes, and um, that was pretty early. But now there's there's um, a lot of major efforts here going on uh, that have raised money and all this stuff. Uh, Casa is the biggest one. And they've sold at least 2,000 units of their version 1. I don't know how many of their version 2 nodes that they've sold. But these include Bitcoin Core and a Lightning node. And I believe BTC Pay Server uh, is included in there as well. So that's 2,000 more nodes at least. Uh, Plus uh, Nodal is another seller of this. And Nodal has a, a node out called the Dojo, which is an effort with Samurai. So Samurai is a wallet provider and they have uh, built a node with Nodal. They've prioritized different things versus Casa and the mainline Nodal. There's all sorts of other ones too out there. Um, I know Bitbox is making one and Raspberry Pi Blitz. That is a a one, it's a DIY one. So lots of these uh, plug and play nodes are coming online, and I think this is great. Uh, we will start to see more of this in the future, of course. But for a 2019 review, I would just say uh, we saw the beginning and the rise of the plug-and-play nodes, which is good. Next piece I have here is privacy. So this really has heated up. Uh, some of the rhetoric has heated up in the last month or a couple weeks even about CoinJoin and exchanges talking about this and Trace Mayer. I don't know all the the most recent details of this debate, but we did see a rise of transaction level privacy with CoinJoin. Samurai got in there with their offering, um, and then they had this. <laughs> they had a debate throughout the year, or a fight, basically an open fight on Twitter and and stuff. Um, I think that it's good as long as we're talking about privacy. It's a good thing, and uh, there's some competing going on and some competition to boost the privacy, um, making it easier for people to get involved. So it's great. So the 2019 has also seen a rise of people being concerned about privacy. Now in 2017, maybe I said that the next big battle would be fungibility and be privacy. Um, I don't really know if that's the case. What we've seen so far is uh, some moderate increases on main mainnet with Schnorr coming and Taproot and some of these other type of developments that will enhance privacy on the main chain. Uh, but these tra- transactional level privacy is where it's going to be as well as layer two privacy things like Liquid has the confidential transactions and things like that. So um, it's going to be a mosaic of privacy options. And the more private you want to be, if you're creating a dark market or you're creating some other Thing that you really want to be private, you will go a different route versus somebody that needs to build a open and regulated system. You will go a different route as well. Um, it will be a mosaic of privacy. We, I don't think we'll get privacy by, by default. Um, almost a hundred percent. Let's get into some miscellaneous items and then I'm going to get into some of the big underlying currents of 2019. Okay, so Quadriga CX. I couldn't get out of here without talking about Quadriga. Um, 
again, I didn't follow this a hundred percent, but I've, I've followed it. And, uh, the owner was a degen or the CEO owner founder was a degen gambler and he gambled away a lot of the bitcoins and then he exit scammed and just left. He ended up dying in India. We think, uh, in some undisclosed location, like uh, off the grid sort of thing. So there is a lot of conspiracy theories around it. Um, I don't know what happened. Uh, I think there's a possibility he faked his death. His wife seems to think he's dead and she's even given back as much as she can that, uh, from people that lost money on the exchange. Uh, oh, Quadriga CX is a bit, was the largest Canadian exchange at the beginning of the year. So pretty interesting thing that happened here in Bitcoin. Okay. Also Twitter and Square and Jack Dorsey. So he is kind of like, the Bitcoin maximalist that, uh, headline Bitcoin maximalist that we have here. He is, he said, you know, Bitcoin is going to be the dominant money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he is the CEO founder of Square, uh, the, the very popular, uh, payment app, uh, most popular payment financial app in Android. Don't know about iOS, but it's very, very popular and you can buy Bitcoins with it. So. He's done a great service here, kind of also competing against Coinbase in a way, uh, which we'll talk about in the next story. But uh, Jack Dorsey is really good for the space. I think he's even um, traveling around Africa now, or he traveled around Africa for a little bit this year, going to Bitcoin meetups and uh, talking with the people. And now he's going to live at least two months, I think, in Africa next year. Maybe it's six months. I can't remember. And... um uh, you know, he's really thinking Africa is going to be the future. Now I'm not, I'm not against Africa being the future. I think there's some parts of Africa that could really advance quickly, but as an entire continent, um, it's hard to say like the future is Africa, right? The future could be Nigeria or the future could be, uh, some other region of Africa, but, uh, an entire continent is, is kind of hard to pin down. So, I don't know. And, and if, if the, the West would just get out of the way, right? Like Nigeria is a booming population. They have a lot of natural resources. They have, um, they, they could advance very quickly. They could be like the next big, uh, emerging market. But, um, you know, the CIA's in there blowing up pipelines, uh, funding rebel groups and, and all sorts of things. So, um, the best thing I think I'm Jack Dorsey, his heart is in the right place and he's, he's a great CEO. I mean, he's a very accomplished businessman. So he, if anybody could do it, uh, make a difference, he can. Um, but I would say the biggest difference is just to get the fricking West out of there, get the CIA out of there, get these people out of Africa and, um, let the people, let free markets reign, let free markets bring people up. It's the best way for the poor to advantage themselves. And it's the best way for us to help advantage the poor. It, it, invest in them, right? Have a little bit of uh, self-interest and invest in those people. Um, maybe, that, I mean, Jack Dor- that's what Jack Dorsey is doing, so that's good. But anyway, so that just to wrap that up, uh, Twitter and Square doing big things here for Bitcoin. And um, I think it's good. I, I'm not like on the big train, woo woo, Jack Dorsey Square, woo woo, but I think it's great. Uh, another side to this is the Cash App and Square. 
they're sponsoring some podcasts and they're sponsoring some great content like the TFTC with Marty Bent and Matt O'Dell. And they've, they've started this stacking sats meme that really took off in 2019. So it's, um, with the cash app, you can buy $5 worth of Bitcoin or $10 or, or $100 right there in the app. It's linked to your bank account. You just stack your sats. Of course, it's KYC. So you got to be uh, careful with that. If you take it into your cold wallet, you want to, um, uh, maybe have a separate cold wallet for that and then use that with wasabi and yada, yada, yada before you put it in real deep cold storage, something, uh, you want to obfuscate a little bit. But, uh, it's, it's a great option for people to get their toes wet in, uh, Bitcoin and the stacking sats meme. Wow. What a great meme. It gets across the dollar cost averaging low time preference with people. That's, it's very hard to talk about that, uh, in, very short sound bites, dollar cost average, why that's good. And, you know, low time preference, why that's good. And this meme does it effortlessly. Also with the sats piece, it breaks through the unit bias and going up for the last five years or so, we've been talking about this unit bias where uh, you can buy a fraction of Bitcoin. Well, that's not like exciting to people. Oh, I can buy a fraction of Bitcoin, but I want one Bitcoin, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, with the stacking sats, it talks about the DCA and it gets rid of the unit bias. So people do, they start stacking a, hundred, uh, a million sats. I need to stack a million sats. Now I need to get a hundred million sats, right? And you start stacking those sats. So um, that is, it, it's such a great meme and that really took off in 2019. Okay, so that's enough of Twitter and Square. Let's get on to Coinbase, their main competition here, at least Square and Cash App are trying to take away a lot of Coinbase's business, which is a good thing. <laughs> the delete Coinbase movement was here in 2019. They were acquiring, or they did acquire, Neutrino, which was a hacking group known as Hacking Team, I believe. And they helped governments basically do crimes around the world. And it was not a good thing. The very I mean, it is a disgusting group of people and Coinbase acquired them, right? And so there was this big uproar in Bitcoin, hashtag delete Coinbase movement was started. And I think it did affect, affect them because they ended up firing the, the team. They kept, of course, the company and the technology, but they fired the team. So uh, at least it was a half win for people and... I don't know exactly what came of it. It kind of fizzled out a little bit, but, um, that, that happened. Um, Coinbase also has taken, you know, the, the, uh, anti Bitcoin stance in pretty much every major development in Bitcoin. And so it's nice to see them get a little pushback and, and see that delete Coinbase hashtag, uh, go up. Oh, and this will play into a story at the end with the IRS is, uh, Coinbase, remember, ratted out a lot of people to the IRS. They tried to fight it. They got it knocked down from all the records to like over $10,000 transactions, I, I believe, but they still um, at least put themselves in that position. Remember, Coinbase owes everything to Bitcoin. Bitcoin owes almost nothing to Coinbase. So Coinbase getting more competition is great. That is a great fertile ground for uh, new startups to come in and take away pieces of Coinbase. I used to hope that Coinbase would go away. I don't think they will. They acquired Zappo this year, which had a very sizable amount of Bitcoin. Uh, they were 
cold storing Bitcoin for people. So now Coinbase has a very sizable amount of uh, Bitcoin out there in the world. I don't know if it's five or 10%, but with that much Bitcoin, they're not going away. Um, I just hope to minimize their influence. Okay, next one is the Binance hack. So Binance was hacked this year for 7,000 Bitcoins and it was hilarious the whole uh, post-hack kind of drama because CZ got on a live stream and he was talking about rolling back the chain. Someone asked him a question about rolling back the chain and he like entertained it. He's like, well, we're talking about that. We're talking about that. And it's not possible, okay? It's not possible to roll back the chain. Um, it is possible to have a reorganization on the chain, but it's not possible to have a conscious rollback, right? Especially for something like this. But ju- And they ended up deciding against it to try it, which I wish they would have tried it and they would have, you know, got embarrassed and wasted a lot of money on this. But uh, just the fact that they didn't go through with it now it leaves a room for people like Hasu and others that say this is a socially driven consensus, not a uh, code driven consensus, that uh, they have room to say, look, we can do it. Binance even thinks we can do it. They were talking about it. They decided against it. Yeah, but they could have done it and yada, yada, yada. So uh, it, I wish they would have, I wish they would have just tried it. So Binance hack happened. Nothing really big about it. They have this Seifu fund. And uh, so if you ever hear that Seifu out there for the new people, uh, that comes from Binance and their insurance fund. Okay, next item is Tether and Bitfinex. So um, Tether is the perennial pariah. They, they are hated by so many people. Many of us Bitcoiners like Tether and they like Bitfinex because they've never taken an anti-Bitcoin stance. They've always uh, tried to uh, route around as many regulations as possible. And they're, they're really uh, an example of a new type of business. They are regulated and they do have headquarters and they do um, obey laws like they cut out New York citizens and things like that for the um, New York bit license. But they, they do as much as they can. They do as much as they can. They push the limits. And that's what they're doing with Tether. So they, they have $4 billion, actual billion dollars, uh, stashed around that people deposit and they get Tether, one to one Bitcoin dollars. Well, the, the drama here this year was, um, that I think, I believe it was, uh, Crypto Capital was the name of this company and they were, uh, holding some of that for Tether. $850 million worth and they stopped responding. They, they pretty much stole it, froze it away from Tether. So all, there was a bunch of drama. Oh, Tether's not backed one to one, even though it was Tether's not backed one to one. And look at this is an example. The, the crypto capital ran away with this money, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then, so the New York Attorney General saw fit to sue Bitfinex and Tether. Well, they as much admitted that it was backed one-to-one until this occurrence. And so that should put all the haters to bed, but it didn't. They just kept piling on. And so it's very, like there's this weird section of the community that loves to talk about manipulation and Tether FUD. 
And that is what they are the tether haters. It doesn't matter how much you produce, uh, evidence you produce, uh, they will always hate tether and hate on tether and whatever. It's some weird mental thing they have. So in this case against the New York Attorney General, Tether pretty much said, like, you don't have jurisdiction over me. And that, that's very interesting because uh, if you guys have been a fan of the show for a while on Patreon, um, oh man, this was probably 2018. We, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, he was a co-host with me on a show uh, called Bitcoin is Freedom on, on our Patreon side. Uh, he still helps me with the newsletters today, but um, we did this Bitcoin is Freedom, like 12 episodes or so. And... Uh, we talked a lot about jurisdiction and he, he is kind of getting specialized in this jurisdiction, uh, from a free state type angle. Okay. From a freedom angle. Um, and we talked about that in depth. Now it's interesting. This is the exact same defense that Tether is using, you know, show us evidence of your jurisdiction. I don't, I'm not saying you don't have jurisdiction. I'm saying show us evidence. Um, and, of course they can't. And it's not exactly the same with Tether. I guess they say that, um, straight up, they, they don't have jurisdiction. But, um, in, in the angle that we have talked about is, um, just show us any evidence of that you have jurisdiction over me in, in this. And it's an interesting angle. And that's the way Tether is doing it. And they've been very successful to the point they're driving the New York AG mad with the New York AG just saying, this is silly, blah, 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 blah. Tether has won several different decisions in this case, and it looks like they're going to end up winning this. So we'll, it won't even go to court. Like they are straight up saying you don't have jurisdiction and it will never go to court. So it's interesting. I'll follow it. Of course, uh, that will hopefully get wrapped up in 2020. Eventually Tether will go away, but hopefully not from these attacks by the state. Okay, next piece. Craig S. Wright. I won't say too much about this. I didn't get too involved. I mean, he's an obvious scammer. Um, he is just a very despicable human being, and he started suing everybody this year, from Hodlanot to uh, Peter McCormick and others in the space. And it, it was kind of interesting to see his court cases. I mean, we all knew that he wasn't going to have any evidence of being Satoshi, uh, so that was not surprising. Uh, but he perjured himself in several of these things, and now he's gone as far as saying that Blockstream hacked his computers to fake the documents that he produced to the court. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. And I, I don't believe in like the state punishing people, but uh, Craig S. Wright needs some punishment from somebody. He is a complete and utter scammer. So... I mean, he hasn't killed anybody from what I know, but he's d definitely fleeced people out of lots and lots of money. That that happened this year. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about, I have a few more miscellaneous things. Uh, liquid tokens. We started seeing these uh, now, these uh, just very recently, ICOs going on liquid. Liquid is a layer two side chain to Bitcoin. It's not really layer two. It's more like layer one point, uh, layer 1.5 or something, but they, you can do ICOs on there and we're, we're starting to see some centralized ICOs get started. I did a whole member podcast on this last week. So that's interesting. We're, we're probably going to see more of that. 
Okay, plus token. Uh, plus token was this big Ponzi scheme out of China. And they got shut down uh, in June or July this year, right at the top of this little pump that we saw. And uh, they've been selling off. It's kind of similar to 2018. We talked a lot about Mt. Gox trustee dumping coins. And now it's plus token dumping coins. It always seems to be some other big bad. Uh, I, it, like I said, I, I said we needed a pullback for the longest time. We need a significant retrace and cooling off period. Uh, and of course, plus token gets popped at the top and they start selling. I mean, it, it's, it could be attributed to them. Okay. But we also did need this, uh, technically from a, a technical analysis perspective. We needed this pullback. Yeah. That, that was a big story. And, they also now have millions of Ethereum that they've been moving around and they might be dumping either over like DEXs, these decentralized exchange or these quote unquote decentralized exchanges on Ethereum. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, Ethereum is not in any good shape. It's a, Ethereum is going down hard. They might have a pump here and there. They might follow Bitcoin a little bit, but uh, I mean, you're looking at three to five years before Ethereum 2, maybe. And there's still an ongoing bet that we'll ever see proof of stake on Ethereum. So right now the Ethereum 1.x, which is just kind of prolonging, quote, prolonging this uh, main chain the way it is now. That's like going to be their focus for the next three to five years as they're working on Ethereum 2. So it could never, it could never happen, guys. Um, Ethereum is in a world of hurt. And that's the number two freaking coin. That is the number two coin by market cap on all these statistics. Bitcoin dominance is another story here of 2019. Just from 30% to 70% for Bitcoin. And a lot of people talk about Pareto distribution for these, these coins, this space. Well, Bitcoin's already almost at 80%, the 80-20 rule, right, for Pareto. Bitcoin's already almost at 80% again. I can see Bitcoin going to 80-90% within the next year. So that the story of 2019 was the rise, re-rise, the rise and the rise. There's an old video for Bitcoin called The Rise and the Rise of Bitcoin. This was the rise after the rise of Bitcoin. Dominance is a flawed metric, but it's hilarious to see that we that the people get wrecked still off of a flawed metric. So of course the the dominance was created by altcoiners to pump altcoins. Uh, it's totally failed them now because it works going up, but it also works. It works against them going down, and we're we're just seeing that. So, uh, yeah, Bitcoin. Another story of 2019 was Bitcoin dominance went back up to 70 percent and probably on its way to 80, 90 percent in the next year. Okay, uh, moving on. China's their on again, off again relationship with Bitcoin. We, we saw them talk about doing, having a blockchain initiative. Uh, blockchain is all good. Crypto bad. Blockchain good. Uh, Bitcoin miners okay. That's where they're at now. Bitcoin miners okay. Um, they can't stop Bitcoin. So I think it would be a, a, they would lose face if they really cracked down on Bitcoin and Bitcoin still survived, uh, their crackdown in their country. So they're, they're kind of taking a soft, touch approach with Bitcoin, but they have shut down most exchanges. They have like two or three that are going to be like their approved exchanges, but a lot of the bucket shops they had over there um, are going to be shut down. This also speaks to 
just the ICO boom is not going to happen again. Um, because, or the altcoin boom, because a lot of these altcoins and ICOs, they were driven off of Chinese speculation, um, South Korean speculation and things like that. Uh, so it's, uh, if all these, is these bucket shop exchanges that were pumping this are shut down, then probably the altcoins won't rebound as much. So anyway, that's just another thing for Bitcoin dominance increasing. Okay. So that's all my miscellaneous. Let's go on to some of the big underlying things that we saw here. Of course, we talked about lightning, layer two, plug and play, privacy. Those were all like major topics. Um, but 2019 uh, also saw the rise of custody solutions, regulated custody. So Fidelity jumped onto the scene. They have a U.S. Uh, custody for U.S. investors. And they're also just launched a European uh, branch or a European launch of this, that product. So institutional investors can invest in Bitcoin with Fidelity. Fidelity also is mining in conjunction with Blockstream. They have some agreement there that they're mining. So Fidelity is kind of like one of these big friends of Bitcoin, I think, at this point. Um, especially if you compare it to Backed or CME or CFTC or some of these other kind of friendly, uh, larger mainstream institutional side, like Fidelity is the best friend right now. Okay. Also on the custody side, we have Coinbase acquiring Zappo, which I talked about a little bit earlier. Um, and this makes them a major, major player in custody. BitGo acquired Kingdom Trust. So that makes them a very, I think Kingdom Trust was the single largest, um, uh, custody player before this acquisition. So now, uh, BitGo is, is also a very major player in this game. And Swiss bank Vonabel, they, they've launched something over there in Europe. So I, I, these are just the big ones that I saw for these regulated custody, uh, options that have sprouted this year. Uh, of course, there's probably double or triple this amount, uh, but uh, custody is a major, major theme throughout 2019. And I think this will help build in more institutional adoption, more money coming in. So that's, uh, it's, it's a very important theme. Another theme on the regulated side is regulated futures markets. We saw the launch of BACT, which started very, very slow. And I remember when it was launching, I had a podcast out and I talked about it launching and I said, well, you know, this is very slow right now. What did we expect? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but by the end of the year, we're going to be talking about how much volume they're doing. You know, it's going to slowly build up. And just yesterday, I think they hit another all time high of around 6,000 bitcoins traded on their physically delivered futures product there on backed. So th it is growing into something very major here. Let's see what else. Don't forget BitMEX is regulated. They are regulated uh, in the Seychelles. I just want to throw that in. They are considered a regulated futures exchange. Of course, CME, they're a cash settle futures, but uh, they launched at the very end of 2017. Uh, but we've seen growing volume. Uh, 2018 was a little bit of a slow start. It was a bear market, all that stuff. But over 2019, we've really seen a pickup in the volume over there on CME and how much a lot of people have these conspiracies about CME and cash settle futures are going to do the same to Bitcoin that cash settle futures did to gold and stuff. Um, 
It's a very minuscule amount of volume, even though it has been increasing. It's under 1% of the total volume is from CME. Um, interesting that some of the gaps get filled. So there could be like they're doing cash settled trading, but they're also trading on spot markets, et cetera, uh, uh, or other markets to move the price. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's going up. It's getting more important. These regulated futures markets are getting more important. I don't think, I don't, I'm not a big buyer in the conspiracy theories because these whales will end up stabbing each other in the back. And that's what we've seen a lot in the last month with the total and utter collapse of the retail side. The degen gambling side is completely out here of Bitcoin and it's being replaced by these big whales, the institutions that are coming in and trading. That's why we see these BART patterns, in my opinion, is that these whales are trying to move the price and figure out, feel out the market, right, with these BART patterns. Um, and uh, they're trying to find where the other whales are, where the retail is, where the where the uh, cheap cheap uh, action is, uh, fresh blood. It's not a bad thing. And when when this goes up and volume picks up another ten fold from here, then we're gonna we're gonna really like these uh, futures. So backed, uh, ErisX just launched. They are backed by TD Ameritrade, I believe, but they're very well connected to a lot of big players in the space and traditional players as well. Um, so ErisX is a new, they, they just launched their spot market six months ago and now they're launching their Bitcoin physically settled futures. Uh, so that just launched. Binance just acquired FTX futures. Um, and so Binance also has futures, but FTX has futures and they're uh, now averaging over a billion dollars every 24 hours of futures volume. That's growing. Crypto facilities, um, which was the reference reserve rate, I believe it's called for CME that they base, base their futures on. That came from crypto facilities, or at least they were a big player in that. Now they have been acquired by Kraken. So Kraken's getting involved here. Um, and yeah, so there's lots and lots of futures, lots and lots of trading and exchange advancement and innovation going on here in the space. It's just, uh, 2019 was big for this kind of, uh, building and then uh, accumulation phase here with some acquisitions towards the end, but very interesting. And that was a big theme of 2019. All right. Two more, two more crackdown. So. 2019, we also saw a bunch of different things come out. So the IRS uh, had some talk about, uh, and other tax agencies, of course. Canada had a question where they wanted you to list out all your public keys with Bitcoin. And um, <laughs> my my thought was just print out a billion public keys and, and send them in, make them have proof of work to go through them. But we did see that from the Canadian side. The Danish um, tax agency now is asking questions about people that they know own crypto. And the IRS has a new uh, question on their form saying, do you have any interaction with crypto uh, in 2019? Um, of course, this is a Fifth Amendment issue. I'm not any sort of lawyer. I'm definitely not your lawyer. <laughs> but uh, this is a, a tricky legal situation. I'm sure we'll get some clarification in the first month or two of 2020. Uh, but in the United States, uh, the Fifth Amendment says you, you do not have to incriminate yourself. So if you have a suspicion that this could be used against you, then you do not have to answer that question. Um, 
that's the Fifth Amendment. And also the Fourth Amendment against unreasonable searches and seizures, you know, like, so you give them this information and then they're going to search you. Like, that is, you're, you're walking into it. And that's part of the freedom that the, the U.S. still kind of protects. Hoping that we see more come out in the next couple of months. Of course, I'm no expert on this tax stuff, uh, but be honest, they're coming after us and this IRS thing says it. All right. So the also FinCEN, uh, this is a U.S. department uh, and they are talking tough, making threats. You will report this. You will do this. This is what we expect. Um, so they're, they're kind of cracking down on this quote unquote cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And the FBI has also come out and said that they have a growing issue with Bitcoin being used for whatever terrorist financing. I doubt that's really, um, it's probably 1% of terrorist financing. Um, maybe not even that way above and beyond anything is us dollar for that stuff. Cash money, us dollar cash is what pays for all this terrorism. Uh, plus, Shit, we just buy them Humvees and give them rockets and all this stuff. So, like, who's really financing the terrorism? Bitcoiners? I don't think so. The last thing I have here for a major trend, of course, is Libra and other stablecoins. 2019 saw the rise of this stablecoin thing. And I remember going back, uh, defending Tether and saying, look, all of these regulated stablecoins are coming out. USDC, uh, Paxos. What, what's the other ones? God, I can't, off the top of my head now, I can't remember the other ones. They'll come to me. Uh, Gemini dollar. There's got to be some other regulated ones, but, uh, these are these stable coins that were coming out at the time and they were, it happened to be when this big FUD was happening against Tether. And my opinion was that all of this negative, uh, energy put towards Tether was for them to get market share. And it didn't work. Tether is still the number one by a huge margin. And so, uh, I think the, the stable coin, they knew they were going to do this, this stable coin. They knew they have this plan in their head to push this, these stable coins over the next three or four years or something. And so this is definitely, we saw this start in 2019. We saw talk from the Fed. We saw talk from the ECB, from the IMF, um, <laughs> the BIS, all these big banks and central banks and conglomerates and regulators. And they're all talking about stable coins, stable coins, stable coins. This is their big thing. Uh, of course, Libra put it on their plate uh, or put it up in the front of their mind. And then when they do talk about Bitcoin, the elephant in the room, they kind of sweep it under the rug. They, they want to make it look like they're not concerned. That's just a little nerd terrorist money over there. We're going to crack down on that. But, you know, stable coins are the real threat. They're the real future, etc. Um so we've seen this from all branches, all sides, that stable coins are being really pushed. They're setting the stage for the uh, CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies. This has definitely in the last few months of 2019 really come into focus here. So they are pushing for uh, central bank digital currencies. And it's all coming on the heels of Libra because Libra kind of kicked everybody in the ass and said, Look, these big companies can launch this right now. Even though Libra was, it's an SDR type basket of currencies stablecoin, but, uh, it definitely put it like out there. Hey, people can do this. They can easily route around you right now. Like we have the technology now to route around you. What are you going to do about it? Well, well, we're going to launch stable coins are bad. We're going to launch these, 
the central bank digital currencies. That's, that's definitely a growing theme here in 2019, and I expect that to continue. Okay, just to wrap up, because this is Bitcoin and markets, I wanted to do a couple macro things here at the end. Of course, we saw the repo market explode <laughs> in uh, September 16th of 2019. And so far this year, in the last three months, they have printed over $400 billion. So it's gone directly onto the Fed's balance sheet. I mean, if you add up all the overnight repos, it's way more than that. But this is just what's ended up on the Fed balance sheet. This is direct money printing. It's QE. $400 billion in three months. What, what a rate. That is faster than any rate during the financial crisis. Um, and then they've also promised half a trillion dollars in the few days surrounding the end of the year. So uh, this is about to get bloody. It's about to get blow up. Uh, we don't know exactly. It's so opaque. We don't know exactly where this is coming from. There's a few different um, possible places where all this trouble is coming from. And I talk about this more on the member newsletter. Um, but that is really big on the, the macro scene. I think that's the driver. Strong dollar was was pretty strong here in uh, 2019. Ended from September the last quarter was down 3%, but um, it's starting to turn around again already. So uh, they're trying to fend off this strong dollar. So the 2019 was strong dollar, this repo craze, and of course, Hong Kong, the collapse of China. China looks like it's going to be uh, blowing up. If you think the Fed is printing a lot of money, <laughs> I mean, China is a basket case, man. It is a basket case, uh, a collapse of China. Uh, to be one of the stimulus going forward. Uh, and we saw a glimpse of that in 2019. Okay, that's it, guys. Wrapping it up for the review of 2019. Hope you guys enjoyed. Of course, get a hold of me if I missed anything or, or you want a link to something. Um, I'll try to find that for you. Again, I did this kind of off the top of my head with a few little uh, items there from bitcoinsnippets.com. So hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks to my patrons. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.